If you want it, baby, I can show ya. If you want it, I can get to know ya. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. Let me explain as I'm taking it off. Let me explain how I feel about us. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. I can show ya. Alrighty, so just went through a pretty in-depth episode with uh, Kiara and Lisa. We're going to go through it again. This is from uh, another potential family's perspective of uh, what they've gone through. And, uh, you know, so we see two people or two different parties affected by the same outcome. And, yeah, it's 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 a, a topic that we need to really touch on and, uh, you know, get the message out there and uh, because, yeah, people shouldn't be paying, you know, 20000 30000 $40,000 or whatever, some amount of money and putting their body through this rigorous um, toll of uh, extracting embryos and, you know, the egg extraction, creating embryos, and then just have it all taken away from them. As part two of this back-to-back episodes of embryo destructions in Victoria, We've got uh, Jess and Leroy uh, Natoli. Is that correct? Did I butcher that word? Or was that? Oh, you actually did perfect. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, I, I, I make a habit of um, not doing too well, so it's good to get one. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, look, basically, uh, you two are an item. Uh, tell us how you all met. Uh, and then obviously after you've met, you've been together and uh, baby plans started to uh, spring to mind. And then later we find out what happens later. But, yeah, take us away from a bit about yourselves. Yeah, well, um, we met very randomly. So <laughs> we were both at an event at the Laird and, um, and we had a mutual friend there and I went to say hi to him and Jess went to say bye to him. <laughs> and he then introduced us at that moment. But Jess was going on to another party and I was just hanging out there. So we literally had like five, ten minutes of chatting and then we kind of went our ways. Mm. And I think through the night we ended up being like I was at a, a bar that was like really close to Jess as well, but we both didn't know and... Yeah, didn't even realise like Leroy was literally upstairs for the rest of the night and I was downstairs and we had no idea. So it wasn't until I think after that weekend I reached out to our mutual friend just to be like, oh, Leroy was really nice and is he single? I don't want to, you know, tread on anyone's toes or anything. And he didn't end up getting back to me because he had a lot going on. So I ended up just reaching out to Leroy on Instagram just saying, you know, it was nice to meet you and hope you're well and it will be nice to catch up again. And yeah, we just yeah. got chatting from there and then had our first date, I think, a week later. Yeah. And I think from there it was, I think every weekend we literally <laughs> caught up until we moved in together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, they say uh, the words love at first sight. You know, was there a spark between this high and by situation? It seems like there, there potentially was. Yeah, I think so. Like, um, Yeah, there was definitely a spark. Yeah. I think we just kind of caught eyes and... I just I think we both weren't expecting it, so that's why it seemed quite. We were both caught off, caught off guard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's such a lovely uh, start of a, a relationship, oh. and and there and then there's the rabbit. 
Barking? <laughs> Is that a rabbit or a dog? That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, all good. You you being you you were quite busy back in those those days, were you? So you left it left her hanging for for, the, for a message or? <laughs> <laughs> oh no it was our mutual friend that was quite busy so uh, i ended up going bypassing him yeah. and going straight to leroy <laughs> <laughs> cut out the middleman <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh that was fantastic so you know you've been together then you, you you started seeing each other you moved in with each other um yes then when the idea of children spring to mind um, yeah, I think it was kind of like right from the start, we both were pretty brutally honest about what we wanted. Um, so we're like, we don't really want to like waste our time if this is not what you want. Um, so we're both like, like, I want a family, like, I'd like to yeah create a life with someone like this is what I'm looking for now. It's not, I don't want to just be seeing people just for the sake of it. It was, it was always going into it. Well, no, I want a family. Um, if you don't want it, that's cool, but this is what I'm after. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think just like aligning those values were both really important to us. Like those core values of what we wanted in our future were definitely aligned from that moment because Leroy is a little bit younger than me as well. So I think for me, I came in going, oh, he's not going to want the same things and trying to like talk myself out of it. But instead of doing that, we just had an open conversation about it and then it just came naturally from there so you've talked about it you're both on the same level playing field in terms of you know similar similar goals and family views and perspectives and and visions uh so you you've started i guess looking at ways to create a family yeah so I think we were always knowing that we we're going to go down like the IVF path. I think it was just um, that gathering of information that takes a little bit of time. And the research. Yeah, just working out which clinics, um, how it all works, the cost involved of it all, the time involved into it. I think um, the support that we would get as a queer couple as well, I think that was something really important because reaching out to like an IVF community, a few that we're a part of, it was good to kind of get feedback as to what support they gained as queer couples in a very, um, I don't know, some, uh, some clinics we found had very, very limited knowledge of how to proceed or how to communicate with queer couples. So for us, we wanted to go in knowing that we had the best support from the beginning. So... So you, you went and explored a few and then you narrowed, narrowed it down to the one that you, you chose ultimately. So you felt really mm -hmm. comfortable with this uh, clinic that you chose. So from there you've gone in, I'm, I'm presuming you've done, you've done a few tests, um, a bit of counselling, uh, you know, is, is the ball moving along pretty um, quickly at this stage or we, you know, you're still gathering info and... Yeah, no, it, it happened quicker than I think what we anticipated. I think it was more COVID that slowed us down at that point um, because we went into our second long, uh, lockdown, which ended up being the longest lockdown that we ended up having. So for us, it was more trying to time it correctly according to that, really. And uh, so you've gone through, uh, you started doing counselling. Uh, how do you recall the counselling sessions? 
Um, well, to me, well, I guess for both of us. They were both um, on Zoom, first yeah, of all. Yeah, they were both on <laughs> Zoom. <in> person. <laughs> um, and they felt a lot like ticking the boxes. So we went through a lot of like the, I guess, the rules around it all, what we could expect, mm-hmm. um, if the donor was going to be from a different culture. like Timelines. Yeah, timelines. Yeah. Um, I guess a little bit of cost involved, like, but it was very, like, it was very basic. And we both said that mm. both of them were very, very basic sessions on our feelings. It was more, um, they're ticking a box and they've gone, okay, yep, we've said this, we've said that, we've said this. And yeah. And I don't know. think that's a reflection of the counselor that we actually had. I think it's more of a reflection on the general process mm. of, of having people go in and having to tick those boxes legally yeah but rather than from an emotional perspective um so I think you know Lira and I both see our own psychologists separately and I think we definitely found more value in speaking to those who we had you know pre-existing bonds and relationships with for the past over five years than what we did separately for these two one-hour sessions so does it does it feel different then from a normal psychology session that you'd you'd sit down with? You know, like obviously think back to the first time you met your own psychologist, psychologist and uh, you know obviously you you're a bit more uh, you know as you see someone more and more, I guess you become more comfortable with with them. The same with any any sort of situation in life with any certain person that you come across, uh, but. Would, you know, if you're comparing your first experience with, you know, your psychologist and, and, and this counsellor or, you know, would you say there's a big difference in sort of, you know, straight away that you can sort of say this feels like it's just a, you know, um, a formality rather than maybe someone that necessarily cares or someone that's really evaluating me or someone that's really, you know, um, has to, you know, is investing in it rather than just seeing it as a, you know, this is something that you have to do as a government regulation sort of thing. Mm. I think, I think you definitely go in with different mindsets. So when you're seeing your own psychologist, you know that this is probably going to be a long-term thing. Um, There's probably a lot of different things that you're going to be working on. Whereas for this process, it was very much that we went to see this counselor because we were told we had to. So Mm. that was our plan was to see this counselor see them twice and get the tick off that we can now look at the um, the donors. Yeah, and there so had that- to be a two-week gap in between those two sessions as well. So it was very methodical. It was very, you have one session for an hour, you have a two-week break, then you have another one-hour session, and those notes get sent off to the doctor. Then you get approved to have a look at all of the, the donor platforms that were available. So, yeah, it was very much a step one, step two, step three equals looking at the donors yeah did you do you feel that you could fail the test you know were you ever anxious that um or was it you know it was just very it was a breeze in the park you know you just you go in or go in there and just like yeah ticking boxes blah, 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 done dusted yeah like I, I don't think we ever thought that we would fail like that we wouldn't be able to see the donors but i think I think the counsellors are very good at knowing what they're looking for because they've obviously mm. done this a lot. Um, so, yeah, but I, I, we didn't have any worries about it. I think it was more just the frustration of waiting the two weeks <laughs> to then have a question to yeah. then <laughs> answer the same questions. And, like, because, like, you really, you, you do so much research before you start because you know how much of an mm. investment you're going to be making into this. 
Yeah. And that you've pretty much answered all your questions or spoken to the nurses and like got so many different responses that mm. it is like you do know. You know a lot. A lot. And we can appreciate that, you know, it, it is one of those steps and it's one of those steps that has to be done. And I guess the positive thing, it's not we didn't have to have counselling just because we were a queer couple trying to conceive because mm. even heterosexual couples or singles, anyone who goes through this donor process, still it's mandatory for them to have the two counselling sessions. So, you know, I can understand that everyone in their own retrospect would probably go into it feeling very different. But I think for us, we were quite eager to get the process going, but respected the fact that that's what we needed to go through to get there. Yeah. So you've got through that long process of waiting a couple of weeks, doing the couple of sessions, getting them out of the way. Uh, the next step is the uh, the donor list. Uh, is that an exciting part of this process to you know get access of looking through this list, or you know what you know was the anticipation match the expectation of what you received, or you know tell us a bit about this list that came upon you. Um, I guess there, I was quite surprised by there's a level of like basic information that mm. you get. Like it's really just like height, eye color, hair color, skin color. Yeah, maybe and think, nationality. And nationality. Sometimes. And yeah. so that was kind of it. So we're like, oh, and I think it it's, was stressful because then you make, you're basing so much off these few yeah. small things. Like, you can you request the extended information, but that's more the medical side of things, and you still don't get a, a good um, feel for what they're yeah. like. Yeah. So I think in the beginning, well, our our doctor actually initially kind of low low balled us and said, "Oh, you know, there's not many at the moment, and I think with COVID, it's been really hard." And we went in thinking, "Oh gosh, there's only going to be a couple," which we've actually heard friends only have three to choose from that's the minimum that's the the least that we've heard friends other friends who have the option to choose international donors kind of have a wealth of <laughs> these donors just kind of coming at them as much or pardon the pun but um, <laughs> flying at them with any any um any options that they really want but for us I think we ended up having about 23 yeah which we were actually quite surprised about and quite excited because we didn't expect that amount mm. So really going into it, we didn't really have huge, like a, pre a huge preconception of what we wanted. We really had, I think, hair, uh, no, eye colour more so because we both have light eyes. Mm -hmm. um, we both come from an Italian background and Leroy also comes from an Egyptian background as well. So for us, it wasn't really about culture or nationality. Um, it was more about, you know, just wanting wanting to have a baby that we can love and take care of and support and you know so you know you got 23 to pick from you you've sort of worked out what you're sort of looking from from that really you know vague uh sort of description i guess of uh <laughs> um but did it come down to like one or two or three that you're like finally deciding on, you know, like do you pick your top three, your top five, uh, you know, or there was that that one profile that just, you know, at the end of the day of those 23 just went, yep, that's the one. Well, we had the opportunity to choose our top five um, and then those top five were in numerical order as well, um, but we were able to see all top, our top five 
profiles, the extended profiles. So like Leroy said, it was more medical history. So about themselves, about their parents, even their grandparents, if they had any existing children, if there was health, any, any health um, background on them as well. And then towards the end of each profile, there was, you know, a page on why, why would you want to donate? Um, is it something that you've thought about doing before? What are your, in, your personal interests? What are you hoping to do for the rest of your life? You know, what have you studied? It's kind of just a few, a few personal questions like that. So really it kind of came down for us what that page said. Yeah. Obviously you take the health considerations into immediate effect because if there was anything, for example, blood type or something that we wouldn't really be able to support going into the future, that was kind of an immediate no for us, unfortunately. But, you know, moving forward, it was really about what they said on, in their statement pages and trying to connect with them as a person rather than a donor number. So the donor that you ultimately picked, do you remember anything like in terms of uh, standout quotes or things that they wrote that really stood out to you that went, that sounds nice, like that person sounds like a good person, <laughs> um, you know, that's sort of what made you, you know, convinced that that person was the donor for you? Yeah, well, the donor that we chose actually, um, he didn't write a lot of information, but enough information that we really felt like we could connect connect with him and you know connect with his beliefs and values because his his reason for donating were along the lines of well if I can help a family and give them a family and give life then that's the ultimate gift that I can ever give so for us that was a really kind gesture and something that wasn't done for any other reason other than love and kindness and respect for the fact that people had could only choose this option to to start a family you know it does when someone says that you know you think that's you know your embryos are going to be created are going to be in you know safe storage uh you know for someone to say like it's the ultimate gift well you know now that we dissect it knowing what we know now and what, what you've been told you know where, how does it turn around from not being the ultimate gift anymore to something that can just be discarded to me that doesn't make a lot of sense it doesn't sound you know what you're writing on a piece of paper is authentic i don't know is that is that sort of how you feel when you when you read stuff like that and you know you, you're really trying to get a feel of who a person is off a piece of paper because you know as it, as you said it, it's it's quite hard to you know imagine who this person might be so you're going off all these little details that are you know available to you yeah it, it, it's it's shocked us so much I yeah think. um I think to this day it still doesn't feel yeah real when, like it's already been what two weeks today that it, we got the phone call and it just still seems really surreal. And you definitely go through those feelings of grief um, and mourning because, yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem surreal. And we weren't together when I received the phone call. I was actually in Melbourne and Leroy was back home in Adelaide. So having to have that phone call, first of all, and then have a second phone call with Leroy and then fly home that night. So it was kind of reliving itself in that first day um but i think as we've kind of processed like we don't agree with donors withdrawing their consent if 
if it's just their donations and it hasn't created an embryo, I think the issue for us is that the legislation covers these donors to make the decision, even if embryos are created mm. and that legislation is only in Victoria. So I think that was the biggest thing that upset us and, and knowing that he was the one to choose to withdraw and that men withdrew consent, like withdrawing consent for us using our current frozen embryos, which were three more potential chances of us conceiving and, and making a family. And, you know, everyone around the world and, you know, there's little groups out there and the media portrays it, you know, like they got this setup called VARTA over in Victoria and it's meant to be the world leader. It's meant to be the leader of legislation, the leader of leading the way and and showing, you know, how how the rest of the world on how we're meant to do it. But yet they can't even get a law change that every other state in Australia has been able to do or, or done. And, you know, what have you, have you spoken to Varda about this as well? Like pushed it with them? You know, like for me, it's sort of like, you know, these guys like to claim all the accolades and, and, you know, BC is be seen as this great organization that, you know, is, a market leader, but you got a law that is nowhere else. Mm. Yeah, I think um, it, it's hard because it's it's VADA and in hand hand in hand with the government as well. Like it, it's it's both of them playing part. And I think unfortunately, you know, Lero brought up a good point that these laws and legislations won't be challenged unless something unfortunate like this happens to us and the other families that it's happened to. So now we want to create change and help create awareness for other families because I'm sure that like us, the topic of donors withdrawing consent was probably skipped over in such a brief manner purely because it, it's so, it, it happens very, very rarely. Um, and we just happen to be that 0.01% that it happened to, um, you know, after so many years of so many medical professionals telling us that, oh, it's never in my 10 years it's never happened in my 15 years and now all of a sudden it's happened and and six families have been affected by it mm. so you know we haven't we haven't had a like we want to reach out to them but i think for us it's about making the public more aware because people who work for vada people who are in the reproductive industry especially in victoria are aware of these laws and these legislations but it's the people who going who are going through this journey or are preparing mentally financially emotionally to go through this journey they're the ones that may not be aware so for us it was more to go the public route first before reaching out to the corporation side well lisa and kiara they they mentioned that it's it only happened this guy counseling you know the use of access to these embryos because they have to contact them after 10 years and say, do you wish to still have your, you know, your sperm or any embryos or any, you know, available out there? Uh, and he just replied in an email, no. And it was, you know, uh, I said to them on in their episode, well, you know, you guys are meant to go for mandatory counseling sessions. If someone wants to, decide to terminate someone's embryos should they have to go through a counseling session first to explain to them you know what the ramifications they are they're doing uh you know if there's any other potential siblings born through 
this uh, donor's help through that family, you know, you're denying them a, a full-blooded sibling as well. Like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, did you know that, you know, could you picture telling him, can you picture, you know, just handing over $30,000, $40,000 to us now and, uh, you know, just walking out and being cool with that? Like, I don't think, you know, anyone in their right mind would be like, well, hang on here. Like, maybe my decision isn't really thought through. And perhaps these people can keep their embryos, especially when, you know, the bit on the piece of paper says they want to help with the ultimate gift of life. Well, it sounds like you just wanted, you know, now you've wanted to take away $30,000, $40,000 of somebody. You might as well just yeah. come in and do an armed robbery somewhere um, with that sort of money. Yeah. And that's only just us as well. You know, that's not even considering the five other families that that money paid. is It was just for us. So imagine the collective total for the six families. It would amount to a lot more than that. But I guess at the end of the day, financially for us, it's, it's not even the main point. It's the fact that, you know, we, uh, we went through this emotionally and, you know, we prepared for this and, and how it would have an effect on us um, physically and emotionally and, just how we would cope in our own relationship, but also on our, on our own, in ourselves. And, you know, it's a lot to kind of go through. So I think taking that and, and not even regarding the consent of the families when it's 50% their DNA, mm. I think that's what's been the hardest part. Yeah, and, you know, it's definitely something that you should be upset about, you should be grieving about. Um, and a testament to, you know, you, um, Leroy and, uh, you know, Lisa and Cara, the, you know, they're for stepping up and, you know, wanting to put a voice out there to make change because, you know, you, you ultimately might not save your own embryos, but you, you could be saving future people's embryos. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, as they said, they feel that, you know, this 10 year notification thing now that's coming up, a lot of these donors and uh, are approaching 10 years that we're probably going to see a lot more of this happening if, over the next couple of years with uh, people just, you know, changing their lifestyles or, or having a new partner that's against it or, or various other reasons or um, for saying no. And we're going to see probably a lot more of these embryos being created, um, destroyed if, if uh, we can't get a change of legislation and there's going to be a lot more people affected. So, you know, it's very easy to say me, 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 or, um, but it seems like you've been really altruistic by, you know, coming out here and saying this is not right so you can save future people. Because mm. it, it is wild that someone can just say no and that's, that's all he gives is just a no. There's no reason they tried to contact him and he wouldn't respond to them. Like there was nothing more. And you'd think that after 10 years, there's children out there that have been created using her, like his donation. So what's the problem now in continuing using it? Like we just, we can't get our minds around what the problem is now than what he didn't think of when he first did it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that would create something in his mind for him just to reply no. And today, today we actually only just found out. We were contacted by our previous clinic and we only found out about that. That's the reason why it came about that 
he said no after because it was his 10 year anniversary, I guess, of donating. Mm -hmm. um, that we only found that out today that that was the reason how it came about because in our minds we've we just felt like he had reached out out of nowhere and said, actually, I don't want to donate and please withdraw my consent from any embryos as well. Mm. So I guess a, a, just another box that they needed to tick. So what happened? Basically, you got contacted by your new clinic in Adelaide. Um, they're the ones that contact you telling you that you could no longer use these um, embryos that came from a Victoria clinic. No. Uh, well, well, it was the Victoria Clinic that contacted us and they just said that he's pulled out that, like, you have to, the embryos have to be destroyed, they can't be used anymore. And then they said they've already contacted our clinic here in Adelaide. And I think they said that they'll get in contact with us, like the Adelaide Clinic will contact us mm. more about it. And that was pretty much it. Like, and then we had the weekend of just going, well, what what does this mean? Are, like, our, embry our embryos going to be destroyed over the weekend like does it get does it happen straight away there was like no more information provided apart from that he's pulled out you can't use the embryos that's it so this melbourne clinic you know you use them to create these embryos do you feel that because you transferred to adelaide that they think well you're not really our customers anymore so we'll just let adelaide clinic deal with it because i mean didn't say same you know like you're going through some uh, some shocking news you know it's it's probably the second worst news from a loved one dying close in your family that you you probably experience uh but it didn't, didn't didn't sound like it came across like uh you know they wanted to ease your minds or you know they told you on the weekend so you have to sit over the whole the whole weekend before you can get an answer on the on the next starting week you know um timing seemed a bit like you know when when you find something like this you probably want to know answers you know ideally you probably want to find out on a monday and then and then mm. be able to deal with it uh rather than it eating you up inside the whole weekend yeah i think you know it's hard because i don't know what kind of time frame they were working with when the donor actually withdrew consent and how much time elapsed for them to then contact us I would assume and I would hope that it wasn't a, a huge amount of time but for us like when we were called we were actually called by the the donor the head of donor management she's based up in Queensland and as I mentioned before she said that in her 10 years she'd never had to make this call before she'd never had to advise a family of a donor withdrawing consent so I can appreciate how hard that would have been for her to then call all six families who were involved just for this one donor who was withdrawing consent and, and have to have that conversation. So I can appreciate that the conversation may have been brief um, and very kind of heartfelt in the sense that she very much felt for the news that she was having to tell us. Um, but I think much to your point and to Leroy's point, like, just give us the weekend. <laughs> like, just give us the weekend, tell us on Monday so then we can call around and find other information or maybe take our time or call back if we need to rather than having those two days kind of just in solace to mull over the brief and small information that we'd received. Yes. Um, so when did you start going on social media or looking at, you know, you obviously came across Lisa and Cara. Um, you haven't come across the others so far, uh, I'm guessing, even though you did put a bit of media out there, no one else has come forward and and wanted to say this has happened, this is us as well, we're all in it together. 
Yeah, not at this stage. We haven't heard from anyone else. Well, not from our donor. No, not we, from our donor. Yeah, we did connect with another family who had happened to from another Melbourne clinic, but back in December. It's it's funny. Like, I mean, you know, there's talk about there's a donor shortage and this guy's the six families, so that's six out of the possible ten families Sorry to interrupt, but we actually had two of those family allocations out of the 10 because in Victoria, as a queer couple, you're not actually identified as a family. So for us, we actually held two of those 10 spots. Okay. And and that might have been the same for Lisa and her partner at the time as well, maybe. Yeah, and potentially any other queer families. Okay, so that makes a little bit more sense. Because, but I, I was thinking, you know, ten families in in Victoria, you'd you'd still think that donor would be off the books within you know a couple of years, and you might have came across him, say, with you know a couple of years into it, and then you still get a, a lifespan of you know eight years at least of these of these embryos to use. But it seems like yeah, like he didn't get completely used up. That you know he was still available for you for use to pick and but it was right on the the expiry date of him being able to say no you know what i mean like it it's as i said with uh i think lisa okara brought it up that it would have been nice to know how far into his um you know is how far he's long ago he donated and then being told that potentially this guy could turn around when we when we do when we legally have to ask him and he, and he could say no. Yeah, completely. That would have changed our um, our choice of him straight away, I think, because as much as people can say, oh, it never happens, I think it's always going to be if we were told that because I didn't even know that after the 10 years that they had to ask the donors mm. if they're still happy to keep going. Yeah. So if they, if they said that that was the process... <laughs> that it probably would have swayed our minds. Although I guess when you kind of think about it as well, and this is just in hindsight, that realistically, even if they were only into their one year of their 10 years, they could still turn around and withdraw consent in Victoria. Mm. So I think that's the thing. It, it doesn't protect the I families. Think, I think, I don't know. For me, if I donated 10 years ago at a clinic, I would have presumed all my families would have been made or, or would have been nearly all done and dusted by now, you know, for, oh, I'd think, oh, they must be all at least minimum five years old, you know, seven, eight, you know, between those ages. And, you know, I, I would be pretty surprised if I found out a newborn was to be born to, like, well, not be born, uh, you know, be born in nine months from now, potentially, you know what I mean? Like, so... It's, you know, I don't know, it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, I, I know a lot about this world of spermination, but there's still stuff like this that, you know, dumbfounds me that you come across and you're still learning more and more each day and some stuff you don't want to learn about, you know, you don't, you're just like, really, is, is this possible, you know, still in 2021? Is, is this what's really going on here? Like, geez, um, yeah, I don't know. So... You found out that they, he's just said no by email, and they can't contact him. So, you know, is there a, is there a, you know, when when a prisoner gets sentenced to death, 
you know, by the, the, the needle, the electric chair, and there's a set date and all that, you know, they're giving you a date that these embryos are getting destroyed or, or as far as you know, they're still there, like, or is there uh, a legal process that you could protest it, you know, or can you say, please don't destroy it, just in, we'll pay storage fees just in case he changes his mind? What, what are those sort of options? Are there any options like that? So Jess found out that we've got five years, so we have to sign off before they get destroyed, no matter what. Um, but we've got five years to actually sign. So we can hold out for that five, for those five years. Um, but really, they've already got, they've already been labelled as they can't be used. And I don't think there's going to be any change to that. No. Even with five years in the future, I still don't think there'll be any change to that so no I think especially because the decision was made while the current legislation is in play it would be different if maybe it wasn't um and then he withdrew consent but it, we wouldn't be having this conversation if that was the fact but I feel like uh, that's why our, our main aim is to try and help future families obviously we would be absolutely ecstatic <laughs> if that was the case however we'd probably be in the same position as um Lisa and Coria if we were to conceive from one of our three frozen embryos and then we wouldn't be able to have a, a genetically related sibling. Yeah. But I mean, I just don't know if an email is valid. I mean, how do we know that he didn't leave his email open and a girlfriend or his mum walked past and went, what is this? No. And just replied and he hasn't got a clue. And then he's, and then what, and the person's just blocked the, the clinic's email address. So that's why now when they're trying to re, re, reapply, um, reply to him and ask him further questions, he, you know, he's, he's not responding to it. You know, for me, they've, reached out to an email address that could be anyone on the other, other end saying no. It might not necessarily be him. It should have to be verbally, like if you want to cancel, uh, as I said before, it should be probably cancelling first, but, you know, they should verbally have to, you know, um, see or hear from him and go and verify his identity to say, okay, yep, you, that's you. you. You want these people's embryos destroyed. Okay, fair enough. Like, you know what I mean? Under current legislation, I don't think. Yeah. You know, how an email could be anyone. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, it's just like every time our clinic calls us or if we call them, they always ask us for identifying information, birth of date, date of birth, I mean, <laughs> um, full name, sometimes address, sometimes different contact numbers. So, you know, even that formality to even get through from the receptionist to talk to our doctor or to talk to an embryologist is is quite strict in that sense. So I agree with there definitely should have been something more of a verbal and definitely counselling just to identify how withdrawing consent is actually going to be impacting the families who are involved. I mean, is there legislation like a, an act that you can say, can you please send that over to us? You know, like, can we show us the laws to see how a person can validate their, you know, the, the, their means of termination? Yeah, well, there's something that I, I've read quite a lot online, obviously, and researched quite a lot. And we've been in touch with um, a couple of different lawyers. And for us, there is definitely a small part in there that gives us some shining hope where it says that the donor needs to give some form of reasoning. Um, 
and I think that's something that we're definitely exploring a little bit more. However, I guess it, we don't know what contracts they've signed on the other end, like disregarding what the legislation says and what you can research. We don't know what his contract has said in between him and the clinic. So, um, uh, yeah, but I don't think mind. a contract can't overrule a, a law, though. You know, you, you can't say I'm going to sign a contract that lets me speed down the freeway at 200 kilometres an hour you know, and overrule, and then the cops pull you over and you go, oh, no, I've just wrote a contract out that's overruled your laws. You know, the laws set the yeah, precedent absolutely. and you can't overwrite a rule law through, um, you know, you can you can negotiate within the the laws and, and, and uh, you know, you, but you still got to fall under them. You know, you don't, you can't create your own laws. Yeah. Absolutely agreed. And I think that's why there's that small slither of hope that there is a potential. Um, but again, at the end of the day, if he if he can, if under the legislation, withdraw his consent and if no is a, a good enough answer under the eyes of the law, then again, we're, we don't really have a leg to stand on. But if, um, if it says if it says they have to give a reason, then uh, I say you've got a very good chance of that. Yeah. Because because yeah. basically now it comes down to the clinic to say, okay, you've said no, but under the law you have to give a reason. Okay, so if it and then they've they've sent him that email, same email that he replied to the first time. So if he is adamant that he doesn't want to donate at a clinic, uh, or you know allow these embryos to be used, he will reply back with a reason. And that's what mm. the law requires him to do. It's, it's, it's no and a reason. So I think you've got a really good shot at that. If this, I mean, I haven't seen the wording, but from what you're saying, if it does mm. say you need a reason, no isn't uh, uh, sufficient. Yeah, and I think that's why we've spoken to two different lawyers and it's kind of with with them now we we you know we're not experts in law so hence why we've reached out for for support and for help and that's kind of where we're at you know yeah. we can only hope so much and, and we hope that they're doing all they can as well mm. so we did hear that they've tried like we said they've tried reaching out to him but surely there would have to be other contact methods that they could use to get on to him mm. like well i'd put i'd put that view to him well, I just said to you is there saying, well, you know, you said no, okay, so but it still needs to provide a reason. Reply back and see if he gives a reason. If he doesn't, then he's not that keen and get him destroyed or stopped. Uh, you know, the thing is about lawyers, you know, a lot of lawyers, they're very smart people, but they always go on precedents that have been done before. So they'll look at a court case that happened that's similar to what's happened in the past and they'll see how um, the judge or the ruling was made from, from that. And then they then go, okay, because that's how it would be for them or very close to. When it's never been done before, they don't know what to do. You know, they're working out for the first time as well. And they've got a lot of cases on themselves. You know, you're not just their sole client, so to speak. So, yeah, for them to do this, it takes a bit of homework. So, you know, if you feel that you've got a few angles, mm. don't just leave it in the lawyer's hands. Say, well, how about this option? It's asking the clinic to say, can you give a reason and see if it responds, you know, would that be beneficial to the case? You know, you've got to put, you got to, 
because you know they're dealing with different other things there might be uh, uh, something else that's going on that's really bad uh, that's high priority in your case or something that's you know in the courts right now that uh, you know is actually being battled out that they're thinking about at night because that's sort of what they're fronting up to the next day you know so you you know and this is your case your sole case that your mind's on thinking of angles whereas they've got a you know a, a lot of other cases on their plate so I would say anyone that's going through situations such as yours is, yeah, throw ideas at them, you know, especially if it's never been done before or never or it's something that they haven't you know, experienced themselves before. Yeah, definitely. I think we've got, we've definitely got a handful of options still out there and, you know, I guess it, it just takes time. Unfortunately, it's not something that can happen overnight and it's not something that can happen even in the first two weeks, which is where we're up to now. Um, we can only do so much within that time, but it doesn't mean we're we're stopping fighting. Like this is kind of just the start of the start of everything, really. So we're not going to stop until until we get this heard and until we can hopefully get this legislation reformed. Do you feel any different now about this donor? Like you know, in terms of you picked him, thought he was a great guy, ultimate gift start a family awesome you know do you feel that it's tainted him as like your choice of of donor now like you know if, if he if, if somehow you did win back these embryos and you had a child and then your child reached out to him when you when they were 18 or something like that you know and you had to see him you know would it be a bit more awkward now um or you know would it be a bit of gloss taken off the the whole the whole experience of it all yeah I think we've like from after processing it for a bit I think we're kind of like well maybe there's a reason for this maybe he isn't a nice person and he didn't actually do this out of the kindness of his heart and um, I think a lot of people have been saying that as well they've, they've always been like maybe there's a reason to this and we did kind of speak about like if we did get to keep our embryos, like would we be happy to still use them? And knowing that like if our kid did go and see him when they were 18 and he was he said to them, well, actually, no, I never wanted you, like that's that's a pretty traumatising thing. Mm. So I think like as much as we would love to use them, I think it is something that we've got to take into consideration is this person doesn't actually want contact contact because if they don't want to donate what makes us think that they want contact mm. which again they don't have to but no. at the age of 18 if our child wants to contact them then they have their right to yeah and they could get a really blunt response from him uh, that could upset them as well because uh, you just don't know what their personality is they might grow up and not care or not want to or um you know it's really it's really uh it's lucky dip in terms of child's personality that you get no matter how much you want to um raise them and put them in the right direction you know i mean there's a lot of people out there in jail and i'm sure the parents that raised them didn't want their children to be in jail you know you just you know you, nothing is certain in life um you know you can love and nurture and care for them as best you can but ultimately what is ticking inside their minds is you know it's up to them and uh so you know you've come on line uh, what point did you find, you know, like, oh, these, you know, Lisa and Cara are, uh, 
you know, us, you know, the, the same situation, like they must have used the same donor. Mm. We contacted them. We did a post. Um, we have a, a private Instagram page that we kind of, what, documented our journey from the beginning of our relationship to where we are now, um, mostly focusing on our IVF journey. So when we shared it on there, and we actually shared it on a couple of IVF support pages. One of their friends, I think, tagged them in our post. And then Karaya, um, sorry, Lisa was actually the one who posted something previous to us when we didn't realise literally on the same day, only an hour or two in between. I didn't see her post. And then she was tagged in my post. And then we literally contacted, well, she contacted us through, through our page. So... Yeah, I think it was quite devastating to hear that, like, we knew that there was five other families as well as us, but putting names to faces, I think, were, yeah, it kind of made it a lot more real and a lot more sad as well, especially yeah. knowing that they already have a conceived child from that donor. Um, but, you know, a lot of sadness for them and a lot of despair and just a lot of devastation, I think, just knowing that our families were in this position when really it doesn't need to be that way if we were back home here in Adelaide that wouldn't be the case because the legislation is completely different when you put yourself on out in social media there's always haters <laughs> uh you know I've got my own hate fan club as well uh, you know I try and do I try to do everything legit everything reasonable and you know but it doesn't matter how good you are or or what you have to say, there's never, uh, you know, there's never a hundred percent audience that is there giving you a round of applause or or consolidating with you, um, you know, um, condolencing, sending their condolences with you. There's always people that like to shit stir and troll, and essentially, it's they're kicking you while you're down. Were you expecting backlash from some people? that you know from their opinions well it's quite funny because we hadn't experienced any form of negativity you know I think people were kind enough to to see that these people are going through something really hard um and not commenting whether it was their truth what they felt was the right thing to do or or not um until uh the daily mail article came out and then when that came out, I started to see the different reactions. And this was just over the first hour that it had been published. And it kind of got to a point where there was 30 comments and then it was doubling every half an hour. And then there was 60 comments and then 90 comments. And it got to the point, I think I, I just stopped reading. I just was like, okay, there's a lot of people out here who choose to believe their own story or what they feel would be appropriate in this situation, whether it was their religious views that were saying something completely different, whether they were a donor themselves. Um, so it was very, very 50-50, uh, I think, at one point, and a, a huge part of that was religious beliefs. And, again, that's their beliefs. That's totally fine. Like, we're not one to discriminate against them for having any form of different belief to us so we just decided to not read them <laughs> we're like we're not going to put ourselves out there and these people's opinions 
do not affect us whatsoever. Some of them are actually quite laughable when I read them in the beginning and I just was like, oh, there's really no point in losing sleep over people who are such keyboard warriors and I would highly doubt that if they saw us face-to-face would even say half of the things that they're saying in here. Mm. Oh, that's definitely right. They're really big behind the keyboards. They've got, you know, they probably make fake, they bank fake accounts up and they also try and, you know, jump on the bandwagon using these fake accounts to also give them another voice as well. I mean, it's a big, um, it's a big lifestyle for some of these people, you know, it's what goes on in their life. You know, what can I w- wake up and, and say some really messed up stuff like that stuff that doesn't make sense, stuff that's stupid. And, you know, for some people it really, it, it, it hurts them and affects them. But I think deep down, you know what you've been through. You know the situation that's happened. You know what you stand for. You know what you're trying to achieve for future families. You know, you go away knowing that you're more educated and uh, you're in the situation uh, you're you're living it, and they've got no idea whatsoever that what they're they're writing and saying is is just um yeah as you said laughable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think you can't think of it as any other way. It's hard. I think for and we can only speak for ourselves, but for ourselves, we thought well, it's not useful, it's not helpful. They aren't living it, like you said. We're the ones actually going through it. And unless they are families like Lisa and Kariah, who we can absolutely 100% genuinely connect with on the way that we're feeling um, about the current situation we're in, then these people, their, their says are not valid. But on the other hand, we've had so many beautiful, beautiful, kind, uh, generous not only our friends and family, but complete strangers reaching out to us and saying that, you know, we stand for what you're trying to change. And, you know, this must be so devastating and heartbreaking, which it absolutely is. But knowing that we have these complete strangers standing behind us and cheering for us, trying to get this legislation reformed, I think definitely fuels our fire so much more. So where did the, you know, the idea of uh, sign a petition form come out and to get people on board and sign that and we'll link this in the uh, episode's um, information guide so under this uh, episode people can go in there click the link and you know if this is something that resonates uh, you know you, or you feel sympathy or understanding towards this situation or you don't want it happening to you it's uh, or, or a friend or if you, um, or, or future loved one or family that are potentially going down the IVF path of uh, you know storing uh, donors sperm with the egg that make the embryos on ice um what yeah what was the process of coming up with that idea i think i think we we just went about it we're like well it's it's really unfair it is really like an unfair law it 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 doesn't make any sense it's the victoria is the only state that has it mm. and what can we do like yeah. what is within our control in this very moment to try and get the word out there and to connect with people and to just try and push for change like we were literally like what can we do right now so yeah i mean i'm i've never done a petition myself i've always thought that you know um well my voice is talking on here and and speaking to about issues on here and then obviously the community that's around, uh, you know, the IVF world and sperm donor um, 
animal kingdom, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> you know, we all tune in and we listen to, you know, these stories. Some of really good, help, heartfelt ones, and some of them are uh, uh, educational ones, and some of them are for reasons that we probably shouldn't be having to talk about, but we are. Uh, and yeah, and then hopefully people listening to that, the right people can get changed. But with a petition, what do you do there with that? You know, the people sign it, uh, people keep signing it digitally online, and then you'll you'll use this saying, you know, will you present it to, um, you know, VADA or a government body and say, look, this is all the people that are supporting this. Uh, you know, what's the what's the process of what can you do with a petition for anyone? That, you know, there might be other people that they're thinking about doing a petition as well, but you know, ultimately, what can be used with this petition? Well, I guess, like, to start with it, the petition was very um, accessible for a lot of people to share. So it meant that we could put our story there and then we didn't have to keep telling people to keep it getting shared around. So to start with, it was, we've made this petition, um, like, we'd really appreciate, like, all our family and friends to sign it, to share it, um, just to get word out there. Mm. But I think it is, like, we've like Jess has got it up at the moment and we've got a lot of signatures on it and there is going to be a point where we'll be able to take it to some government or VADA and keep pushing it that way because like these people have signed it for a reason so Hmm. and they're able to leave comments as well which I think is also really well received obviously on our end but other people can also go on and see why these people are are signing it and why it's important for them to sign it so currently we're sitting on 2100 signatures and that's in less than two weeks so our next aim we're just going up by 500 every time we possibly can so our next aim is to get to 2500 and you know, I don't know if there's, we haven't really thought about if there's a certain amount that we want to get to. It was just, again, more creating awareness and and seeing how many people are actually passionate to see this legislation change for then us to take it to, to certain and specific government bodies and VATA um, and local government to see, to see what we can do and how we can push for this reform. And, you know, have you got any idea what VADA's attitude is towards it? You know, like, is it just like, oh, this is too hard sort of thing? Uh, you know, like it's, it's too much effort for us to do this and they're trying to brush it off, you know? Like, what's your expectations and, uh, you know, with dealing with these government um, governing bodies? I think the expectation will... <laughs> First of all, I don't know when it comes to anything government, if we should have any form of expectation. Um, And that's just me speaking very generally. But when it comes to something that you are passionate about, I feel like people should stand up and really fight for what they believe in. So if this is us standing up for ourselves and for our rights and for the other five families who were involved in this and their rights, then, you know, we'll push as far as we can push. And that's where we need everyone else's support. Um, in trying to push it as far as that they can push it. And we understand that everyone, it's not everyone's priority. It's not everyone's prerogative to be able to do this. And they're not living and breathing it like we are currently. But even if it's just two seconds to literally share the petition or sign the petition or tell a friend about it, you know, that those things are also very helpful from the smallest things to the biggest things. Uh, Sonia Allen uh, appeared on one of the articles uh, saying that 
you could be eligible for compensation or emotional stress and you know that you've gone through what's your take on that and do you feel that you know it's not so much about the money but it could be you know for clinics to improve you know their way of educating and letting people know of of the rights or or the um you know their expectations of needing to tell information about say for instance a donor coming up towards 10 years or a donor could withdraw consent and all that sort of stuff you know is this something that they need to uh be financially hit with for them to increase their you know their education towards their customers that go through their clinics yeah i think it's hard to say because now that we're down in South Australia, I know that our previous clinic did reach out to them and, you know, asked what they could offer in form of compensation. And, you know, we would never expect anything from either clinic really because they don't actually have to. Um, Our clinic, unfortunately, down here can't offer anything and that's totally fine. We would never, ever expect that. Um, We have been offered a free bulk bill cycle to go through our previous clinic um, to be able to choose a new donor to the pro everything up until the process of freezing the embryos that are created with a new donor they have offered us uh, the only issue is being in South Australia our clinic's not actually that clinic is not down here so for us we would only have the choice to travel into state to either Queensland New South Wales and Victoria but for us obviously Victoria with this current legislation is completely uh, off that plan so we now have the option to either go to Queensland or New South Wales and complete a new IVF cycle to create new embryos. Has it got to that stage now where, you know, if, you're, if, if people in Victoria are listening to this podcast episode and obviously the emotional terminal that you've gone through, even though they say it's a low chance of it happening, but, you know, as we said, a lot of donors are coming up to 10 years now, so it could be a big increase now of, of people getting rejected. And, you know, so if you're... If you're looking at using a donor and you're in Victoria, you know, would you would you be considering maybe going to interstate like Queensland or New South Wales now based on this legislation after being affected? You know, does it, does it hurt you psychology-wise that, you know, you, you feel that you couldn't trust um, you under current legislation going through that process all over again of a, of a donor that could pull out, um, you know, in this sort of situation? I think, you know, each to their own. You know, there's a lot of people who who wouldn't be able to go interstate, who would not have the option to be able to travel interstate and to be able to complete an IVF cycle. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of rural people, for example, who travel hours and hours and hours just to come into these clinics to be able to hopefully foresee a, a future and create a family with these clinics. Um, so I think, I think we can only speak personally for ourselves and say that unfortunately for us, having been a part of this scenario that we won't be going back to Victoria, um, unless this legislation does change, but for everyone else who are considering it, I, I just urge you to ask the questions and, and make sure this topic is not brushed over as it was for us, because it does not happen frequently it doesn't mean it shouldn't be spoken about so we can only really speak for us in 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 this situation yeah Yeah. and so 
I mean, out of curiosity, you, you, you were in Melbourne, you, you lived in Melbourne, I'm, I'm presuming, and then now you've you, you relocated. Uh, I'm not sure if that was for work or um, family in, in Adelaide, but, you know, it is sort of, you know, you did have your, um, you know, you had to re- pick up and relocate all these embryos as well and move. You know, it's, it's been a bit of a process. Mm. Yeah, it definitely has. Yeah. I think um, <laughs> even just moving our embryos out of the state, we had to apply to VADA to get approval for that. Um, and we missed the cutoff for they only meet once a month and you can only get it in by a certain date at the start of each month. Um, so we missed the cutoff. Um, our clinic had a bit of a, a mix up with it. So we ended up having to wait two months to even be able to get approval for our embryos to be sent out from Victoria to South Australia. Yeah. So, yeah, there was, there's a lot that has gone into these um, these embryos and we only just started um, up the cycle again. So we only were able to do one in South Australia before getting this news. So Yeah, and we were actually only days out now of starting a new cycle um, and hoping to use these embryos and now unfortunately that's not the case and I think even if we do go ahead and do a future cycle with our previous clinic in interstate in another state other than Victoria we still then have to do that whole process of IVF and the medications and the counselling and the blood tests and scans and internal scans and the egg pickup and then the creation of the embryos and then the freezing of the embryos and then getting them transported down to South Australia again. So for us, we're, we're literally back at square one. So where is, what is square one now? I mean, obviously you still want to have a family. You still want to have children. You know, it's, it's been a major roadblock for you, definitely. Uh, you know, how quickly now can you bounce back from this? Or is it something that you still need to, you know, do you need to grieve or do you need to focus on this change first? You know, do you feel that your, your body, um, you know, your hormones and your levels and all that right now, you know, probably, in a, are you in a good headspace to go through that process? Cause you know, when you take all this medication as well, it, you know, it, it, it does affect you and um, you know, men- mentally and physically. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we're in we're in no rush. We've got there's a lot of factors to consider back into things again. So like the financial side of things straight away is probably one of the bigger ones. Is is do we have the funds to pay for the the part that the clinics won't be paying for? But then we've also got to get the trip up to Queensland. We've got to get the time off work. There's so many different things that will go into us deciding. Mm when to start up again because we do want to go for it like create more embryos we Mm. we want to try again but it's yeah it's it's hard when there's so many other pressures of life on at the moment that um especially with COVID and not even be able to travel interstate mm. I think that also puts a spanner in the works too (laughs) yeah well I was meant to go to New Zealand and uh I just found no. out that I'm not anymore, so I've got a million. Oh, no. So sorry. Got a million things to cancel. Um, so yeah, I don't think any of us are having any good luck at the moment. Um, so <laughs> hopefully, we're meant to be getting married in October, so we're trying not to think about that because that's also interstate. <laughs> so we're trying not to think about that uh, at the moment. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's sort of, yeah, it's, um, yeah, life's not really fun at the moment in terms of this COVID situation and, and these other little things that are popping up. So, yeah, so I would said to Lisa and I said to Cara, I said, if you had the donors, if, they, if the clinic gave you the donors email, would you reach out to them? And I'll put this to use as well. I think it's hard because even though we've gone through the stages and still going through the stages of grief and mourning, there's, there's different factors that come into it because if the donor, like we said earlier, if the donor had withdrawn consent and that was just for any current donations that hadn't created embryos, then each of their own totally support it. But when it comes to affecting our family and our future family, then that's when the, I guess the frustration and the anger comes in. Um, but really the frustration I think comes with towards the donor is him not giving a reason and us not being able to process that reason in a, a level headed way because our minds just wander and, and what was the reasoning and how was the reasoning and, and also the fact that he could have chosen to leave our embryos with us and just withdraw family spot donations. Um, I think that's also the biggest thing that we've struggled with, with why, why couldn't he have just left us the embryos? He had that choice and he chose not to. Um, and it comes so across really cold, like as in you don't deserve a reason. Mm. Yeah, well... We do deserve a reason. <laughs> we absolutely do deserve a reason because this is our family. It's 50-50, it's you know. It's just as if a family separates and you've got 50-50 custody over your children. Not one parent can have more of a say than the other because your legal rights are to 50-50 parent those children. So for us, the same thing would be for these embryos because that's our potential family and us potentially creating life. Um, with 50% consensual donation. So if there's 50% consensual donation, then why should there only be 100% his side with withdrawn consent? Yeah, it's a bit like child support sometimes as well. You know, <laughs> a guy can ring up and say, well, I have him 20% of the time. And then uh, a woman can ring up and say, no, I've got him 100% of the time. But they say, well, right, you have to make a diary and prove that you got them 20% of the time rather than them having to prove that they have them 100% of the time. So um, yeah. the, the, there's some weird laws out there. There's some biased laws out there. There's some discriminating laws against out there. And, uh, you know, um, it's, some, it's really mind-boggling sometimes uh, that, you know, we've got all these governments and people in control with them and, you know, it doesn't seem like much gets done in, in these offices or for change and, you know, they really need a kick in the back, backside to, to get it going. Uh, but I just, you know, I just feel like, you know, if this donor had a good reason, uh, you know, for me, if I met someone and I had a, a new partner, for instance, and they said, Nah, if you say yes, you know, I'm going to take the kid or whatever, and we'll let you know, like, you know, I mean, if it's like, let's say if he's being held to ransom in a certain way, you'd go, okay, well, I can sort of understand because he's sacrificing 
his family now for for us. But you you know and if I was the donor of withdrawing consent, I'd be feeling so bad, so horrible that I'm taking away this from any person. You know, it'd be, you know, I wouldn't want to be doing this, you know, it'd be, and I'd have to justify and, 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 and write an explanation to say, look, I am so, so sorry, but this is the circumstance. And, you know, and as I said before, we've just been an email reply, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to think that hopefully it's not him that replied um, and that he actually doesn't know because, to think that these families that he signed up and wrote on a piece of paper, giving them the ultimate gift is, you know, fantastic thing to do uh, to now not even think anyone's worthy of a reply. I mean, that is probably gone from one outlook to a completely different personality in terms of, you know, good, good versus evil or evil and good, you know, like it's sort of, it just doesn't really add up. Yeah, it doesn't. And I think, I think that's the thing. If he gave a reason and it was a logical reason, mm. I think it would be really helpful for us to process it. Mm. But we are left in this limbo of not knowing why and is it just that he just just chose to say no one day and didn't think about it anymore? Like, yeah. And I feel like if they go through the same, if not more, counselling that we go through to make sure that their donation is, you know, in a genuine effect, then I feel like if you're a donor, that's conversations that you should have with potential family or potential future partners or that should be a a conversation. It shouldn't be a, oh, well, if someone comes along, I'm going to withdraw consent. And a lot of people brought up, the fact that it could have been, well, what if it's a health issue? And I feel like if it was a health issue, one, you would hope that he would give explanation on that. And two, I feel like that may have been a different conversation with the clinic because then there's potential for that to affect our future embryos as well. Yeah. And, you know, they, I think the clinic, according to Lisa and, and Carrara, was that he replied back at a weird hour of the, the morning which they thought they just presumed that he could be living overseas now. But, you know, he could have been on drugs. He could have been um, intoxicated on alcohol when he wrote it. If he's at that time, you know, he could have been out on a bender or, you know, come back and got this email that's checked and, and drunkly wrote no, or, you know what I mean? Like, so we don't know the state of the mind, you know, was he, was he sober when he just wrote no? You know, we, you, there's no, as you said, there's, there's no reason. There's been no follow up or reply. It, it, to me, it just seems, feels that there's, you know, unless he gives a reason, there's, there's no reason why these embryos should be currently withheld until, until he, he does, you know, or give him an yeah. ultimatum. You've got, you've got one month to think of a reason. Doesn't matter how big or small it is, it just needs to be a reason. And then, yeah, that's it makes legislation and then, yeah, the embryos can't be used. But right now it seems like they're taking his side uh, based on him not fulfilling his legislative requirements of giving a reason. That's, that's the way I take it anyway. And, look, I really appreciate you both coming on the show today and sharing your, uh, 
your experience and what you've had to go through. Uh, he could potentially listening to this uh, episode. Um, you know, it might be the thing that might make him change his mind or, you know, reach out and reply to this email. What would you say to him if you had the chance of saying something to him now with, you know, that he could be listening right now? What would you have to say? Uh, just give us a reason. Yeah, I think it is. Just, <laughs> just give us a reason and, you know, try and and put yourself in our positions. If If you and your partner were relying on the donations of strangers to try and conceive and start a family like how would you feel if, if this had happened to you and you had no control over it if, if literally a stranger who potentially once was giving you this great the greatest gift that they said that they could give you and then all of a sudden at the flick of a switch were taking that away how would that make you feel mm. but I also just want to point out that other than the donor that it, it, it is the legislation that is protecting him for making this decision. So for us, that is our main goal is, is to have this legislation reformed. Yeah. And uh, but I mean, that's the thing though, because they say that no one really does it or it's very small. So it's taking the real odd character or a different, different fish from a different pond to, uh, you know, go out there and come up with this, no you know what i mean like it's like yeah the legislation's allowing it but there's a lot of good donors out there that have, have gone the 10 years or or have not withdrawn consent despite any circumstances or change so you know this person is is exercising his right okay good on him he's got a right in a in a, in a state that is allowing rights that no other states do but he's doing something that most normal donors aren't doing in terms of taking away someone's family. So for me, it doesn't sit too well with me in terms of, is this guy a good person? And as I said, I think I like to think that it's not him that replied. It could have been anyone. He could have been hacked. You know, he could have been hacked. Um, so yeah, we will never know until he replies and if he ever does. And yeah, so please reach out, give them an explanation. Thank you for coming on the show. We'll share the socials um, in the spermthenationworld.com episode guide list. Uh, you'll be able to find this episode and it will link the socials, the sign of petition and more information um, about this episode there. So thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Darling, you're with me, always around me. Only love, only love. Darling, I feel you under my body Only love, only love Give me shelter, or show me heart Come on, love, come on, love Watch me fall apart, watch me fall apart And I'll be yours to keep Holding in the shadows Show me hard and watch me fall apart, watch me fall apart.